Very happy Father's Day to all the dads out there this morning. Uh, back on Mother's Day, we changed from Revelation to just a Mother's Day message instead of going through uh, the abyss opening up and these blonde-haired demons coming out of the <laughs> abyss. And I know God, He's no respecter of persons, so I don't want to be a respecter of persons. So instead of looking at the Antichrist and the false prophet today, I didn't want any dads thinking I was talking about them. So uh, we'll be looking... A little bit on what scripture has to say about Father's Day. And these holidays are always difficult uh, because depending on our relationship with our father on Father's Day or our mother on Mother's Day it can make it a sweet holiday or a pretty bitter holiday. And we need to keep in mind, especially for fathers, that God refers to much of our relationship with him throughout scripture as a father's relationship with his children. We need to be very careful of that. There's a heavy weight for us as fathers, a ginormous blessing in being able to be a dad, but a tremendous responsibility for us. Because many of us, we've had those bad examples of a father. I've been blessed, my dad, my father-in-law, my grandfathers, they're all great men, great men of the Lord. But if we've had difficulty with our fathers, we need to keep in mind that that does not mean that God acts just as our earthly fathers have acted. But that we as fathers, we as men here, should be acting and doing our best to rightly represent God the Father and His heart to our family and to the families around us. We don't want our deeds as fathers to give great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme His name. We don't want our deeds as fathers to cause a little one to stumble. So there's a great weight and responsibility there. There in Luke chapter 1, Jesus, he teaches his disciples to pray. They're asking, hey, Jesus, teach us to pray. I don't think it's necessary that we have a difficulty in knowing what prayer is or learning about prayer. We just have a difficulty applying it and consistently applying it to our lives. So there in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven. Again, the whole foundation here from Jesus teaching his disciples on how to pray is that the relationship here is our Father in heaven. And we need to keep that in mind in our prayer life, in our relationship with God. He's not just God of the heavens. He's not just God of the universe. We can think of God on a macro level, but we need to think of God as our personal Father. It says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day, our, give us this day by day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Again, this heavenly Father, He's holy. We should be asking, hey, your kingdom come, and we should be living out his kingdom and his will here on earth as it is in heaven. This heavenly Father, he provides for us. He gives us day by day his daily bread. This heavenly Father forgives us on a constant basis day by day. 
And we should be forgiving as he has forgiven us. Our heavenly father, he does not lead us into temptation, but he delivers us. He protects us from the evil one. Even there in verse 13 in chapter 11, Jesus says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Again, the the responsibility for many of the men here as fathers or future fathers is that we should be such great and incredible fathers that when our kids or other kids look at us, they can't believe how incredible God must be. That if man, if this is a dad and he's such a great dad, he's loving, he's kind, he's forgiving, and scripture says that we're evil, we're sinful, how much more will our heavenly father provide for us and give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. In Romans chapter 8, verse 13 through 15, it says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And now notice the relationship here of God with his people. He says, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Again, our relationship with God should be like that of a little child crying out to his dad or to her dad, to her father. That word Abba, it's like if we would say daddy or Hispanic cultural, right, Papa or Papi. That's the same mindset here. If you go to Israel and you hear little kids calling out for their dad, they'll say, Abba, Abba. And that's the mindset, that's the heart that God wants us to have when we come to him. It's not just, oh, great God of the universe, right? It's not, oh, Father is who be in heaven is, hallowed be thy name is, right? No, it's like a little kid comes to the Father. And lots of times we have shame, right? We have pain when we come to our heavenly Father, but we should have the heart of a child that has no shame in coming to their dad. My kids, they have no shame in coming to me. They should maybe have a little bit more pain of coming to me, right? Sometimes when I'm talking to people, they'll, they'll interrupt, they'll scream, they'll run up there. And that's the heart and mindset we should have in crying out to our Heavenly Father. And today, more than ever before, we need godly fathers who are present in the lives of their children. More than ever before. In 1970, a couple stats here. In 1970, the number of children living with an unmarried mother was at approximately 10%. By 2010, that same number rose to 24%. So it's two and a half times more kids living with an unmarried mother. This rate of fatherlessness in the home is rising along with a lot of other problems in our nation. Children who have a father present in their lives is an absolute game changer for them. So if you've been blessed with a father and a father's been present in your life, man, thank the Lord and thank them. One study of 835 juvenile male inmates found that father absence was the only disadvantage on the individual level with significant effects on gun carrying, drug trafficking, and co-occurring behavior. It wasn't race, it wasn't money, it wasn't schooling, it was just if they did not have a father in the home. The study's authors also found that individuals from father-absent homes were 279% more likely, 279% more likely to carry guns and to deal drugs than peers who lived with their fathers. 
This is a theme that's coming up more and more in our world and in our nation that men, young men, they need fathers in the home. I'll never forget Ken Graves. He says, only a man can tell a boy that he's now become a man. That only a man can do that. It's difficult for some of the single moms. It's difficult for the ladies. But that's why it's so important to plug into the body of Christ and allow your sons and daughters to have other spiritual fathers in their lives. I'm blessed that with my three kids, I'm not the only spiritual voice into their lives. That they can have other godly men speaking the same voice and the same spirit to them. But fatherlessness doesn't just affect males. One study from the University of Arizona found that about one-third of girls whose father left home before they turned six ended up pregnant as teenagers, compared with just 5% of girls whose fathers were present throughout their complete childhood. Another study found that teens without fathers are twice as likely to be involved in early sexual activity and seven times more likely to get pregnant as a teenager. The study found that the higher quality of a father-daughter relationship, the higher quality of a protective factor against engagement in risky sexual behavior. Again, for all the men here, it's not just, hey, 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 honey, you deal with the girls, I'll deal with the boys. No, we need to have a tight-knit relationship with our sons and with our daughters as well. A couple more stats here. 63% of teenagers who commit suicides are fatherless. 72% of teens who are murderers are fatherless. 75% of teens in rehab centers for drug abuse, they're fatherless. 60% of rapists, they were fatherless. 85% of teenagers in prison, they're fatherless. And 75% of most cited school shooters in America are fatherless. Again, this fatherlessness is destroying our nation, and it reveals to us that God kind of knows what he's talking about. Because biblically, the only reason why a son or a daughter would not have their father in the home is because he's passed away. Biblically, if you're living a biblical lifestyle, right? The Bible teaches us that any sex outside of marriage is sin. The Bible teaches that divorce is a sin. So if everyone was living biblically, almost every home would have that father there and that mother there. James chapter 1, verse 15 through 17, notice this balance here. It says, Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Again, sin, whenever we give in to sin, it always leads to death and decay. But now in verse 17, talk about a Father's Day verse. It says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. There is no good thing in this life and in this world that does not come from the Father of lights. Got to stop lying to ourselves, thinking that we can find good things in sin and in this world. Good things can only come, perfect things can only come from the Father of lights. I love being able to find biblical examples of different things in life. So searching this week for biblical examples of good fathers, of good biblical fathers. And besides God the Father, it's pretty hard to find an example of a good father in Scripture. Many of our heroes in the faith completely fail when it comes to being a father. 
And I think this is important for all the dads out there. Don't just assume that you're a great dad. Because most of the men in scripture were not great dads. Again, sometimes we just assume that. I'm saved, I'm biblical, of course I'm going to be a great dad. No, it takes hard work. Charles Spurgeon, he says, Children will imitate their fathers in their vices, but seldom in their repentance. A father's holy life is a rich legacy for his sons. Again, this quote hits hard. Ladies, if you're dating a guy, engaged to a guy, remember, children will imitate their fathers in their vices, but seldom in their repentance. We need to be careful with our lifestyle. Again, David, we'll look at him in a moment. David, he's, he was in sin, right? He had approximately 10 wives and concubines combined. He struggled with that area. He had many wives and still he took Bathsheba. His son Solomon, did he struggle with the same sin as his dad? Did he just have 10 wives? Oh, a thousand, right? A thousand. So for us, all the men here, our sins, the little things we deal with, our little freedoms that we may think, we may be able to handle it, but our sons and daughters may not. We have to be careful with our lives. Samuel, one of the great men of faith, his kids did not follow after, the, after him. And we have to realize just because a son or daughter does not follow in the path of their parents does not necessarily mean that they are bad parents. We know the prodigal son is referring to God the Father, and he's a perfect father, and yet he still had a prodigal son. However, Samuel fails because he did not kick his sons out of the ministry or out of leadership, seeing their struggles. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 3, it tells us that his sons did not walk in his ways, and they turned aside after dishonest gain. They took bribes, and they, be, and they perverted justice. Samuel, an incredible man of God, but his sons basically became crooked politicians. That's who they, who they became. We mentioned David, a man after God's own heart. Not God's own heart, but a man after God's own heart. He feels miserably as a father. He knows his own sin, and instead of allowing God to deal with him and deal with the same sins in his kids, he allows his own sin as an excuse to not deal with the sins of his sons and daughters. His firstborn son Amnon raped one of his other daughters. His secondborn son Absalom, he goes on and he kills Amnon. And then he takes over David's throne, having sex with David's other wives. David's fourth son Adonijah, he also tried to take over the throne. Later on Solomon would have to put him to death of fear that he's trying to take over the throne from him. And finally, his seventh son Solomon violated so many laws of God. He multiplied horses, he multiplied wives, thousand wives and concubines combined, and he also served their gods. Again, great man of faith, but was not a good father. There's a handful of men we could look at. If you think of any other afterwards, let me know. But Job, he does well as a father. Job chapter 1 tells us that he's an upright and a blameless man. And in verse 5, he speaks of his sons and daughters, that they'd go from feast to feast in each and every one of their houses. And after this course of them going to the different brothers and sisters' houses, verse 5 tells us that Job would send and sanctify them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts Thus, Job did regularly. So Job prays for his kids regularly. He offers sacrifice for his kids regularly. And Job says, it may be that my sons 
have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Talking to many teachers today, many coaches today, more than ever before, there's parent-teacher conferences, but it's the parent having a conference with the teacher, asking the teacher, what did you do wrong, right? Isn't my kid, my kid do something wrong? No way. They're perfect just like their dad. What are you talking about, right? That's where many of us are at. We have to be careful with this. Job, he knew in his heart that it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Abraham, I believe he did a a pretty great job as a father too, not so much as a husband. Never go to a married couples retreat and we talk about Abraham and the great husband he was, right? Every time you get mugged, you just push your wife out there, just follow Abraham, right? No, not at all. But Abraham is a pretty good dad. When Abraham goes to offer Isaac, his only begotten son, Abraham's over 100 years old. Isaac is somewhere between 12, 13, and 18 years old, and he doesn't beat up his dad. He doesn't wrestle his dad. So to me, again, this shows that Isaac trusted his dad, and Isaac trusted in the God of heaven to resurrect him even from the dead. God says of Abraham in Genesis 18, verse 19, he says, For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And this is a common theme we're going to see for every household that's doing things in a biblical way. God knew that Abraham would command his children and his household to keep the way of the Lord. That Abraham would command his children and his household to do righteousness. That Abraham would command his children and his household to do justice. This is a common theme we're going to see throughout this morning. I was praying, seeking the Lord throughout this week. Lord, give me a biblical list of a godly father, of a biblical father, of a good father. This list is not exhaustive. There's a lot more things we could find for a godly man or a biblical father, but we'll just have a couple of them here. I gathered some of these with a group of experts, my three kids, and uh, we, we brainstormed and said, okay, what is a good dad, a, a godly dad? So just a couple of points here. He loves the Lord and he loves his wife. So just five points on a godly father, a biblical father. A biblical father, he loves the Lord and he loves his wife. A biblical father, he loves his children. A biblical father, if he loves his children, he's going to discipline his children. So he disciplines his children. A biblical father does not take out his anger and frustration on the people he loves. He's not going to take out the anger and frustration on them. And finally, a biblical father tells his children about the Lord. So he loves the Lord and he loves his wife. He loves his children. He disciplines his children. He does not take out his anger and frustration on the people that he loves. And he tells his children about the Lord. We could turn to Ephesians chapter 5. And in Ephesians chapter 5, here we get one of the cornerstone scriptures when it comes to marriage in a godly and biblical way. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, it tells us, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. 
So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Again, biblically, if you're living in a biblical way, you're not going to be a father unless you're also a husband. Unless you're a single man and you adopt a son or unless your wife has passed away. Biblically, you're going to have to love your wife in order to be able to love your kids and be that biblical father. And again, the example here is that a godly man, a godly father, a biblical father brings up the level of holiness in his home. Because it's because of his conduct, his washing his wife with the word that she should have no spot. No wrinkle. It's not talking about Botox or anything like that, right? It's talking about sin in her life. We as men, we should be raising up the level of holiness within our homes. Not the level of hypocrisy or being a Pharisee or the law. We should be raising up the level of holiness in our homes, just like Jesus raises up the level of holiness in the body of Christ within the church. Colossians chapter 3, verse 19 through 21 also tells us, Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. And many fathers, we don't like this next verse. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Again, we have to be careful with that. Many times we can want the best for our sons and daughters and we begin to grow frustrated and now we yell, we scream, our demeanor changes and instead of encouraging our kids to do great things, we end up discouraging them. That's not what we should be doing. We should be trying to raise them up as God the Father raises us up and he builds us up. So a godly husband, they're going to love the Lord. A godly father, they're going to love the Lord and love his wife. A godly man, a godly husband, a godly father loves his children. In Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 31, God speaking to the nation of Israel, he tells them that he carried them in the wilderness and across the wilderness just like a man carries his own son. Just talking about the love that God had for the nation of Israel. In Psalm 103 verse 13, it says, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. Now, we don't like that word pity, but it's a lot of love there. In the New American Standard, it puts it this way. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Again, a godly father is to have compassion for his sons and for his daughters. We don't just play good cop, bad cop. Hey, mom is all the love and I'm all the law, right? That's not the way it's supposed to work. We're to have compassion so that we can rightly represent God the Father to our kids. We should be present in their lives. If we really have compassion on them, if we really care for them, if our heart really goes out to them, we're going to spend more time with them. We're going to be willing to do things we don't necessarily like to do, but because they like to do it, we love them, and we're going to spend more time with them. Came across this poem. Hopefully you could stick with me as we read through it. It's by Edgar A. Guest. Again, pretty incredible. He was born in 1881, died on in 1959, and the, the title for this is Orphans of the Living. Pretty convicting to me. Hopefully you could uh, stick along. It says, We think of orphans only as little girls and lads, who haven't any mothers and who haven't any dads. They are grouped together with other children, and in groups they're put to bed, with some stranger paid to listen while their little prayers are said. 
All the grown-ups look with pity on such lonely children small and declare to be an orphan is the saddest fate of all. But sometimes I look about me and with sorrow hang my head as I gaze on something sadder than the orphans of the dead. For more pitiful and tragic as the long days come and go are the orphans of the parents they're not allowed to know. They're the orphans of the living, left alone to romp and play from their fathers and their mothers by ambition shut away. They have fathers who are busy and so weighed down with cares that they haven't time to listen to a little child's affairs. They have mothers who imagine life could give them if it would be something richer and something better than the joys of motherhood. So their children learn from strangers, and by strangers' hands they're fed, and the nurse for so much money nightly tucks them into bed. Lord, I would not grow so busy that I cannot drop my task to answer every question which that my child of mine may ask. Let me never serve ambition here so selfishly, I pray, that I cannot stop to listen to the things my children say. For whatever cares beset them, let them know I'm standing by. I don't want to make them orphans till the day I come to die. Again, there's many parents that they're just so carried in ambition, so carried in the world, so carried in the cares of this world that we lose focus of what we can actually affect, the lives of our sons and daughters. And with the phones, right, with the cellular devices, with the social media, we can get so carried away with the random people online when we have little lives that we can affect right in front of us. Again, it's such a lie to us. Oh, I got 89 likes on this. I got 12 people watching my stream, right? It's a lie. Man, affect that change in the people around you. Dads, be present in the life of your kids. It is important for us to be a provider. It is important for us to be a priest. It's important for us to be a protector. But we have to spend time with them. We have to show them that we love them. God the Father, if we're honest, he's a little bit more busy than we are, right? He's got a little bit more on his plate. He's concerned about a lot of different things. And he's never too busy to hear from his sons and daughters. In fact, he says, just ask. You have not because you ask not, right? How often do we turn away our kids? Hey, let, let me finish what I'm doing. That's so convicting. Matthew 6 verse 32 says, For all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. He's saying your heavenly Father already, already knows your needs before you even say them. And a good mom, a good dad spending time with their kids, they can see the needs of their kids before the kids even mention them. Again, we're blessed here at Calvary, Miami with so many incredible men, godly men, godly husbands, godly fathers that we can look up to. True men that aren't looking for a father, but true men that are looking for other sons to pour into. We're blessed here. Uh, even within the leadership, if you take like the average age of the marriages within the leadership, it's like 20 years of marriage. We're blessed here at the church to have so many godly examples of families, of fathers and mothers. It's a blessing to us. A godly father, because he loves his children, he disciplines his children. This one, one of my kids said. I didn't write this one down. Right? This is one of their ideas, right? A godly father disciplines his children. Proverbs 13, verse 24. It says, he who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him 
disciplines him properly. Again, to be quick to discipline, not in anger, not in frustration like we're going to look at later on, but in love. Again, the comparing and contrasting. If we spare it, it reveals that we hate them. We're selfish. We're just doing what's easiest for us. But if we truly love them, we're going to discipline them, and we're going to discipline them promptly. Proverbs 23, verse 13 to 14, it says, Do not withhold correction from a child, for if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. Again, the Bible here is not talking about child abuse or literally beating your child till they're black and blue. But this is, again, speaking of the rod of correction. God being the creator of heaven and earth, being the creator of these bodies, he put a specific place with a little bit extra fat, right, to be able to absorb blows, right? It's God's creation. Proverbs 29, verse 15 and 17 says, The rod and the rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Correct your son and he will give you rest. Yes, he will give delight to your soul. Again, the comparing and contrasting. And one of the most dangerous things to us right now as parents is allowing the internet to raise our sons and daughters. Just giving them devices. Hey, let YouTube be your guide. Let the internet be your guide. Listening to an incredible teaching a couple weeks ago uh, from Mike Foch just talking about kids and parents. Parents, it's dangerous once you let them go loose on YouTube because there's probably tons of videos on YouTube that speak about gender in a certain way, sex in a certain way, sin in a certain way. And those videos, they probably have millions of views. So when you're coming to them and you're trying to tell them, hey, this is the right thing to do. And you're one voice versus two million, three million, four million, five million. Again, be careful just giving them unrestricted access. Hey, you go for it. A child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Correct your son. He's going to give you rest. Yes, he will give delight to your soul. Before you call child services on me, let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 12, and we'll see how this is the heart of God the Father. It's not the heart of a monster. It's not the heart of an abusive person. An abusive person, and they just take out their frustration. They're just a bully on kids. But the heart of a father is able to do the hard thing, which is able to discipline and love in grace, in mercy, and in the Spirit. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5. It says, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and he scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? Again, so much we could do a whole teaching just on this, but we need to ask ourselves as parents, do we have sons or daughters that we're not chastening? Because then it's revealing that we're being lazy and we're not necessarily loving them. We're just doing what's easiest for us. Then there's also a danger to us spiritually if we're not being chastened from the Lord. Verse 18 tells us that we are illegitimate and not sons. That when we are in sin, when we're doing wrong, there should be that conviction of the Lord. When we continue wrongdoing, there's chastening. Jonah, he went under some chastening of the Lord. Got swallowed by a fish for three days, right? Sat in fish acid for three days, right? The chastening of the Lord. 
We, when we're disobedient to the Lord, we go through chastening. Verse 9, Furthermore, we have had fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to, once again here, the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed to be best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Again, what's the goal of God the Father in our lives through his chastening? Is that we grow in holiness. That's the goal of God the Father when he chastens us, is that we grow to be in the image and likeness of his Son. That should be our goal as fathers as well. That we're raising our kids to look more and more like Jesus. A godly father, he does not take out his anger and frustration on the people he loves. We already read Colossians 3.21. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. But Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 gives us the same theme and a little bit extra. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. The New American Standard puts it this way. It says, bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. A godly father, that's what we need to do. Not explode on our kids, but take it to the Lord. And then when we discipline them and our lifestyles should be raising them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And the only way we can do that is if we as men are living in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. I don't know anyone that says, man, I love having a hypocrite as a leader. Right? I just love it. That's one of my favorite people to follow. I'll, I'll go to hell and back with that guy. Right? They're so hypocritical. Nobody says that. Nobody says that. We as fathers, as mothers, we should not just be telling our kids, say, do as I say and not as I do. And sadly, you'll find that every single week. There'll be some parents that send their kids to Christian school even though they never go to church because they want their kids to be quote-unquote good. There's some parents, they drop their kids off at youth. They'll never step foot in a church because they want them to do better than they are. However, we can only lead by example. We should be able to tell our sons and tell our daughters, follow me as I follow Christ. That's, that should be the way. It's the only way. A godly father tells his children about the Lord. Tons of scripture on this. Proverbs 22 verse 6 tells us, Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Three times in the book of Deuteronomy, God gives a warning to the nation of Israel. They've just come from slavery. They're now free people. They've now become God's people. And he warns them three times in the book of Deuteronomy. He tells them in Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 8, he says, Only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently, so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen, and that they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life. But make them known to your sons and to your grandsons. God's saying, hey, you're going to forget about all the mighty things I've done for you. You need to keep them in mind, keep them in heart, and you need to be telling your kids and your grandkids about the great things you've seen, about the great things that God has done for you. In Deuteronomy 6, verse 6, he puts it practically. He says, hey, teach it diligently to your sons. Talk about it with them when you sit down in your house. Talk about it with them when you go walking. Talk about it with them when you go lie down asleep. Talk about it when you get up from your night of sleeping. We should be talking about the things of God with our kids. 
Talking about inflation, sure, it's a great topic with the kids, right? But this is more important. This is more important because this is eternal. When we speak to our kids about biblical things, about godly things, it'll affect them when they're three. It'll affect them when they're 13. It'll affect them when they're 33. It'll affect them when they're 63 and so on and so forth. We need to be constantly talking to them about the things of God. And when we do, it reminds us about the things of God as well. It keeps us in line that we're training in these things of God. We need to be diligent in these things. Talking about it throughout life. That's the importance of sharing life with our kids. Not just to talk about sports. Not to just to talk about the Dolphins. Are they going to break our hearts again this season or not, right? Not to just talk about the heat. Should he have shot that shot? Should he have not? He should have drilled, right? Not just talking about politics. But talking about the things of God. Because this is eternal. This affects them in every season of life. Psalm 78, verse 3 and 4, it says, Which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not conceal them from their children, but tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. Parents, have you told your kids your testimony? Have you been able to tell them who you once were when Christ came into your life and them being blown away at the change in your life? We should be doing that. We should be telling our kids about the wondrous works of our God. We should be telling them about his mighty strength. And if you're here this morning, right, this afternoon at this point, and you're convicted and you're not able to tell them your testimony because you're worse off now, or you know you'd be a hypocrite to share your testimony Get right with the Lord today. Come up front for prayer. Get right with the Lord and apologize to your kids. It's a good thing. It's a biblical thing. It's a good example for men of God to be able to come up to their kids and say, I'm sorry. I failed in this area. I'll never let it happen again. That is a great example for our sons and daughters. So trying to find this godly example in the Bible that we could just follow. Again, we got to reach pretty deep in here. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 35. Jeremiah chapter 35. We actually read about this man this week in our uh, Bible reading plan. And there in Jeremiah chapter 35, we'll go through this quickly. Jeremiah verse Uh, Chapter 35, verse 1 and 2, it says, The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, saying, Go to the house of the Rechabites, speak to them, and bring them into the house of the Lord, into one of the chambers, and give them wine to drink. Again, we're just dropping in here, but Jeremiah, throughout his ministry, God gives him real-life examples to then speak to the children of Israel. Sleep on this side, sleep on that side, get your undergarments, put them in the dirt, come back later, bring them out. A bunch of weirdness, right? Go to the potter's house, look at the clay, now talk about the clay. So Jeremiah is given a lot of real-world examples to then speak to the nation of Israel. So God tells them, hey, get this group of people, these Rechabites, speak to them, invite them to church, and give them wine to drink. Right? What in the world is going on here? We know that these Rechabites, 1 Chronicles chapter 2, verse 55, tells us that they're from the tribe of the Kenites. The tribe of the Kenites, Judges chapter 1, verse 16, tells us that they're from Jethro, which is Moses' father-in-law. We read about him this past Wednesday. 
And this goes back to between Jethro and between these Rechabites by a man by the name of Jehonadab. And we read about him in 2 Kings chapter 10, verse 15 and 16 throughout that whole chapter. The king at that time was named Jehu and he was looking for other men that had zeal for God and the things of God. He asks him in verse 15, he says, Hey, is your heart right as my heart is towards your heart? Jehonadab answered him, It is. Jehu said, If it is, give me your hand. So he gave him his hand, and he took him up into the chariot. And then he said, Come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. This godly father had zeal for the Lord. He had passion for God. He had passion for the things of God. There's lots of men that say, hey, I don't have any emotions. I don't have any feelings. I don't have any passion. That's why I'm not that excited during worship. That's why it's tough for me to read my Bible. That's a lie. You have passion for something. right? We've talked about this before, whether seeing your 401k crashing and you're crying about it. There's passion there, right? When you're watching sports and you scream, you cry, there's passion there. Your favorite TV show, right? Today, a lot of the dads into superheroes and sci-fi and stuff like that. There's passion there. But is there passion for the things of God? Is there zeal? Is there fire? Is there a hunger for the things of the Lord? Because if you don't have a passion for it, why would your kids have a passion for it? If you're not zealous, if you're not encouraged, if you're not excited about the things of God, why would your kids be excited about it? If your wife is the one dragging you to church, your kids aren't going to be super excited about going to church either, right? We should have zeal and hunger for the things of God. And the zeal of these two men gets to the point where in verse 23, they gather all the different prophets. They get all the false teachers and worshipers of this false god Baal. And when they gather all these people, they clean house. They put to death and they kill all of these false prophets, all of these worshipers. And this is the closest Israel will ever get to completely eradicating this false God and this false worship. So again, for the men here, for everybody here, if you have zeal and passion for the things of God, we should be cutting out any false idol within our home and within our sphere of influence. That's what passion for the Lord is. We're driving those things out because we love the Lord our God so much. We should have passion, and that passion leads to purity and cleansing. So this is this father, Jehonadab. Back in Jeremiah 35, verse 5, it says, Then I set forth before the sons of the house of the Rechabites bowls full of wine and cups, and I said to them, Drink wine. But they said, We will drink no wine, for Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, You shall drink no wine, you nor your sons forever. You shall not build a house, sow seed, plant a vineyard, nor have any of these. But all your days you shall dwell in tents, that you may live many days in the land where you are sojourners. So this is 250 300 years before the days of Jeremiah the prophet. And these men, these Rechabites, have been obedient to the commands of their great, 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 great grandfather for over 300 years. They're obedient to it. They're saying, This is what he told us to do. And again, a godly father, he tells his kids about the things of God and he instills in them 
Not a love for camping, right? Maybe you read this, Zach, you want us to all go in tents and live and just camp out? No, I don't really like camping, right? I love the wilderness, but then you go back to the house, take a shower, sit in AC, right? Relax, sleep. That's what I like. What is he talking about here? That godly fathers instill a heart and mindset within their kids that we are just sojourners. We're just traveling through. This world is not our home. This land, hey, I'm super blessed to be born and raised in the United States of America, but this world is not my world. This world is not my home. My king doesn't reside in the White House. He never did, and he never will. My king resides in heaven for all of eternity. And a godly father instills this in his sons and daughters. A.R. Fawcett, speaking of the Rechabites, he says they weren't even of the stock of Jacob. They weren't born Israelites or from Jacob, but they were sojourners in Israel. They are types of the children of God, pilgrims on earth, looking for heaven as their home. And when heaven is our home, we have little to lose here on earth because this isn't our home. When heaven's our home, we lose little sleep when we lose things and when things cost us because this world is not our home. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 11, and we'll see the, the father of our faith, Abraham. He was a man, Joe Foch will say, he's a man that is defined by tents and by altars. To this world, he's defined by always living in a tent. And to his father, to God, to his relationship with God, he's defined by building altars everywhere he would go. You're there in Hebrews chapter 11. I'll read for you real quick. Hebrews 10 verse 34. The second half tells us, Knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. We have a better and an enduring possession for us in heaven. Now Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 9, speaking of Abraham. It says, By faith he... Dwell in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Again, Abraham lived his whole life in tents. He was in the promised land. He was in the land that God promised to him specifically, and he never built a house there. He continued to live in tents because he was waiting for heaven. He was showing that this world, he could care less about it. He was going to do his best to bring other people to faith. He was going to do his best to be right with God, but his home was not here. Verse 13, Hebrews 11 says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confess that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Again, this is our mindset, family. We're strangers and pilgrims in this world. We prepare, we get ready, yes, we affect change, yes, but this world is not our home. And the way we show this is by our personal lives. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 and 12 say, Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, 
abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. Again, Peter begs them with the mindset that, hey, we're sojourners. We're just passing through. We're pilgrims. This is not our world. This is not our life. That we would abstain from fleshly lusts. To every believer here, but to the parents here, our morals, the morals within our home, do we get them from the world? Or do we get them from the Lord and from the Word? The way we dress, the way we speak, is that from the world? Or is that from the Word? Right? Again, Joe Foge, lots of times his kids will say, oh, but so-and-so's doing this, and -and so-and-so's parents are doing this. And Joe would say, yeah, but not every kid gets into heaven either, right? They could do whatever they want, but not every single kid gets into heaven. So again, for us, our kids, again, fathers, the way our daughters dress, is that from the world or is that from Scripture? The way our sons treat women, is that from this world or is that from Scripture? Because this world is not our home. We have this desire in each of us to have people like us, to try to fit in. We need to take that with the Word of God. Do we fit in with those people of whom the world was not worthy of? Back to Jeremiah chapter 35. We know of this word that Jonadab had given to his sons. And now we're going to see that they're keeping it. They're obedient to it for over 250 years. Jeremiah chapter 35 verse 8. He says, Thus we've obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, in that he charged us to drink no wine all our days. Not only us, but our wives, our sons, and our daughters. Nor to build ourselves houses to dwell in, nor do we have vineyard or field or seed. Right? We live in tents to the point we don't have a garden. We don't have a farm. But we have dwelt in tents and have obeyed and done according to all that Jonadab, our father, has commanded us. These men were obedient to a a warning, right, a desire from a dad for 250 years. Again, you would say, you're, you're crazy, right? You're trying to be obedient to something from 250 years ago? That has nothing to do with today. That's not relevant today, right? You're crazy. You're old. You're all these other things. What's wrong with you? Such an old mindset. Are you living in the Stone Age, right? Is this starting to sound familiar? We need to be diligent to be obedient to the things of God for days and days and weeks and weeks and years and years and till we get home. We need to have diligence in our lives. Right? That, that's the hard part, right? Anybody could eat a salad one time, right? Sometimes we eat a salad, then we go home and we weigh ourselves. Oh, nothing's changed, right? You go, you work out one time, you look in the mirror, right? Where's the muscles? Where everything go, right? What's happening? It's diligence. It's doing the difficult thing day in and day out. And for these men, their wives, their sons, their daughters... To live in tents while the rest of Israel is living in their houses and in their cities, it takes diligence. Proverbs chapter 12 verse 27, it tells us the lazy man does not roast what he took in hunting. But diligence is a man's precious possession. Right? Here he's saying don't shoot it if you're not going to clean it. That's basically what he's saying. Don't put it on the boat unless you're going to clean it. That's what he's saying. We should not be lazy but we need to be diligent. Doing the hard work day in and day out, even when we don't feel like doing it. We need to be diligent day in 
and day out. And this reveals to us how great our Father is because we're reading about Jonadab, but what Jeremiah is doing, what God is doing, is really he's using these Rechabites' obedience, and this is what he's putting on display. Not necessarily their father, but the obedience of the sons and of the daughters. Because in Jeremiah chapter 35, verse 8 and 19, Jeremiah tells them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, because you've obeyed the commandment of Jonadab your father and kept all his precepts and done according to all that he commanded you. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab the son of Rechab shall not lack a man to stand before me forever. Because of their obedience, he says, hey, because of your obedience, your dad and his lineage, there will always be a man of his lineage in my presence. Always. So again, for us, are we putting our father on display by our obedience to him? Throughout the Gospels, every time Jesus does a miracle, it says that the people would be glorifying God. Jesus would do something and the people would be glorifying God. Not glorifying Jesus, not glorifying his work, but glorifying his father in heaven. Proverbs 23 verse 24 tells us, The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice, and he who begets a wise child will delight in him. You see, depending on which kid of mine you look at and deal with, you'll think I'm a great father or maybe not so great a father, right? I'm the same dad to all of them. But some of them just behave a little bit better than others, right? Some of them just sit still better than others. But we, through our actions, can glorify our Father in heaven. What do our actions tell the world around us about our Father? Does it tell the world that he's lazy or that he's hateful, he's angry, he's deceiving, he's a hypocrite? Or do our actions reveal how great and incredible our Father is? May our God, may our Father look at our obedience and be blessed. And may mankind look at us and our works and glorify our Father in heaven. But we need to be diligent. Let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. It tells us, but also for this very reason, giving all, there's that word again, right? Diligence. Putting in the hard work day in and day out. Giving all diligence. Add to your faith virtue. We need to add these things. We have salvation. It's a gift. Only a gift. It's our faith in Jesus Christ and the work Jesus Christ has done. His blood being shed. Not our work. However, after that, we need to work. There's work that needs to be done. We need to give diligence to add to our faith virtue. To virtue knowledge. To knowledge self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness. And has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren... Here it is once again. Be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So again, may we be diligent. Maybe you're here, Father's Day message, what does this got to do with me, right? Hey, be diligent to make your calling and election sure, be diligent that our works, our habits, our actions would glorify our Father in heaven. 
Malachi chapter 1, verse 6, it says, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence? Right? This diligence, when people talk about it within Christianity, we think that they're in a cult. We think that they're crazy. People devoting themselves to the things of God. We say something's gone wrong with you. However, people devote themselves to things in this world all the time. If we're honest, before we came to God, we devoted ourselves to sin and sinful things to a point of craziness, to a point of madness, some of the things we would do. How much more should we be diligent in the things of our Father? To give Him our all. To give Him our absolute all. So, man, I pray you will be encouraged. Remember that biblical Father, He loves the Lord. He loves His wife. May each of us grow in that. He loves His children. He cares for His children. Worship team, you can come up. We need to love our kids actively and be present in their lives. And again, for the dads, it's not just the boys, it's the girls too. It's all of them. We should be loving and present in their lives. Um, I'm a very, uh, how should I say this, very competitive person, right? I don't like losing at things. And I don't know where we got the idea that a man or a father that's able to braid his daughter's hair is like somehow not manly or not okay, right? But in this competitive mindset, I try to do Ella's hair better than anybody else, right? Because I'm that competitive, Right? Sometimes Amanda's out of town and people say, Oof, Zach, are you surviving? Are you okay? I'll be honest. Sometimes I get annoyed with that. Why? I'm like, do they ask her that when I'm out of town, right? Do they ask her if she's surviving, right? So again, we as fathers, that's our kids. That's our life. We shouldn't say, man, I'm dying here, but oh, let me go fishing that I enjoy. I'm dying here, but let me go to work there. I'm fine. No, we should thrive in every aspect of our lives. The men here, we should be in excellence in everything we do, everything our hands finds us to do. We should be doing that unto the glory of God. That godly father, he loves his kids, sons and daughters. That godly father, he disciplines his kids. It's pure laziness usually when we don't discipline our kids. It's also laziness and sin when we just go at it in anger. It takes hard work and diligence to be able to rightly represent the heart of God in Hebrews 12 when we discipline our kids. That godly father, he doesn't take out his anger and frustration on the people around him. And that godly father tells his children about the Lord. So may we do that. May we be going out telling our kids about the Lord and all that he's done for us. So hey, let's all stand and we'll pray. If you need prayer, there'll be pastors up front. If not, we'll just close in worship. Uh, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you are that perfect father. And again, Lord, for anyone here, Lord, that... They've had a terrible example as a father, Lord. They've been left with nothing but hurt and abuse, Lord. We just pray that you'd be encouraging them and strengthening them today. Lord, we pray for all the single moms here, Lord, even the single dads, that as they continue to plug in and grow into the family of Christ here at the church, that there would be those spiritual fathers evident in the lives of them and of their children as well. And Lord, just a special prayer for any husband and wife here, Lord, that they would love nothing more than to have that blessing of having a son or daughter. Lord, I pray that you'd answer that prayer, Lord.